Hello, welcome to Light for Change and Mind Matters. Here, we talk about the who, what, where, and how we as a community can make positive changes. But the when is up to all of us, and it starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from Graduate Thrivers Pads Cards. This is a green card, which is a category creative thinking. If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? Well, for me, I would open my retreat idea, Petit Monde. I think we should all have a dream goal, no matter how absurd others may find it. If anything, it gives you something to work toward, so you don't get complacent. Life is worth experiencing, and to someone, your ideas are gold. This is Season 1, Mental Health, Episode 1. We all have it. Talk about mental health is everywhere these days, but for the most of society, it's just words being thrown at us because we don't understand what it is or how it relates to us if we don't have it. The thing is, as members of the community, we can make where we live a better place by understanding it and having compassion or empathy for everyone as an exemplified way of living. Understanding something generally means knowing the who, what, why, when and how. You might say mental health is way too complicated a topic to say you understand mental health by knowing only five things. But it really is as simple as that for the most of us. Now, if you're a specialist working with the mind, then of course you need to know much, much more than that. But for us laymen who are being bombarded with the term everywhere we turn, here are the simple facts. Who can get it? The short answer is everyone, as the episode title suggests. Just some have poor mental health, some have balanced mental health, and others have high-functioning, afflicted mental health. Just like some people are physically unhealthy, most are reasonably healthy, and some are obsessively healthy. What is it? Well, mental health is health of one's mind. Unless you are brain dead, you have a functioning mind. How healthy or unhealthy it is, depends on the number or severity of negative afflictions the mind has endured, how those situations were handled, and how those two factors relate to the functioning of the whole human system. It's not something that should be taboo. It's a fact of life. It's commonplace to say, if you eat unhealthy, your body will get sick, or if you dance with danger, you're liable to get hurt. So why do we think, if we ignore our mind, that it will stay healthy? Our minds are the basis to many of the things that make us physically unhealthy. Why would you not eat healthy in a society where we have access to good food? Because something in your mind craves something out of those unhealthy foods. Comfort, short-term energy, emotional triggers are just a few possibilities. And that's only one example. What are some of the signs our mental health is afflicted? Unhappiness? contempt or anger, feelings of injustice, fear of the small things, obsessiveness, doubt, insecurity, safety behaviors, defensiveness, creature comforts, aversions and insecurities, habitual behaviors, lack of self-worth, willingness, unwillingness to change, needing control, either to be controlled or be in control, irritability, anxiety, feeling alone, feeling unsafe in normal situations, lack of social desire, 
feelings of irrational guilt or shame, self-defeatism, fear of judgment or ridicule, fear of reprimand, lack of courage, lack of interest in things that once brought you joy, holding on to the past or dwelling on an event, basing future experiences on past results despite change in abilities and or scenario, lack of boundaries or no limits to what you can contribute, believing you are not enough, predicting failure, negative self-dialogue, and physical unhealth. The list goes on and on, and this is just a few. But I think the point is clear that negative feelings that most of us have felt at some point are things that negatively affect our minds. When these things are left uncared for, they create a disruption in the standard mental activities, and the brain starts sending unreliable messages in the form of internal dialogue. Where does this happen? The answer again is broad, but it can happen anywhere. In fact, on the lowest end of the impact scale, it happens to each one of us many times a day, no matter where we are in the world. Our mental health is impacted with each rejection, every exposure to negativity or positivity, in high levels of stress, when life is, isn't balancing out, when we worry, when we burden ourselves with responsibility, when we get hurt, when we feel sick, when something is not fair, when we don't have enough, when we don't fit in, when we are lonely, when we feel shame or guilt that is not justifiable, when we see others hurt or fail, really anything that becomes stored in the mind impacts your thoughts and the same goes for the healthy and positive moments in life. All things that we perceive through our senses impacts the mind from the moment it is perceived. Sometimes they play a big part in our future, and sometimes they're just little bits of information we consider momentarily. Severe impacts like experiencing death, life-threatening disease, attacks to personal safety, abandonment, neglect, and war are some of the hardest moments to overcome and should not be considered shameful of the sufferer, but with the same sensitivity as someone who barely survived grave injury like an explosion okay so we all have mental health and it's impacted all the time so when is your mind considered broken i tend to be careful when considering a highly impacted mind as broken because i have come to know it as a blessing a second pair of perspective glasses that have given the right hygiene or support to the perceiver can be very enlightening there is much to be said about the afflicted mind and genius. But for the sake of saying when an impacted mind is broken enough to see a doctor, help is needed when we can't work ourselves through the feelings we generated from the impactful moments and that they start to impact the way of living to a, great, to a degree that limits standard functioning within society. Here is a small example. I tried fish for the first time as a child and got sick. So the next time I said no, but my parents gave me no choice, and again I was sick. It kept on that way. Now as an adult, I found out I was allergic to the preservatives and can eat fresh fish, but still I won't because the slightest smell reminds me of having to eat something that made me sick. Not eating fish isn't such a big deal. 
but the avoidance to try something based on a past result, though the current situation is sure to have better results, is an issue. Think about having any of those feelings I said earlier all the time, at work, at home, when you're with your friends. If your day-to-day is making you feel heavy, affecting how you feel about your life, then it's surely time to think about how to flip the script and find a way to address these feelings. If If you feel the world is a terrifying place to live in, if you feel no one can be trusted, if you feel worthless to the point of giving up, if you fear your safety, please speak to someone as soon as possible. Help can come in many forms, from confiding in a family member or a peer to a psychologist and many levels in between. We are still lacking in support overall, but I will give you some do-it-yourself leads when we get to the how of it all. To make the point clear that everyone is impacted by mental health and the severity of impact to the mind's function under lack of emotional hygiene, here are seeing people who seem to have it all together but still have afflictions, afflictions sorry, to their mental health. Some have the courage to push through discovering the blessings in having their life turned upside down, while others did not. Albert Einstein suffered with undiagnosed ADHD. Demi Lovato has bipolar disorder. Steve Young has social anxiety disorder. Dan Meadows has clinical depression disorder. Leonardo DiCaprio has obsessive compulsive disorder. Lady Gaga has PTSD. Robin Williams had Lewy body dementia. Abraham Lincoln had suicidal depression. Isaac Newton was clinically depressed. Winston Churchill had bipolar disorder. Nikola Tesla had obsessive compulsive disorder. Vincent van Gogh had manic depression. Leo Tolstoy suffered with depression. Martin Luther King had severe depression. Gandhi suffered from depression. Hitler showed obvious traits of paranoia, but also antisocial, sadistic, and narcissistic personality disorders, and distinct traits of post-traumatic stress disorder. To quote JFK, Mothers all want their sons to grow up to be the president, but they don't want them to become politicians in the process. Broadened, this is to say that those who stand out from the rest with a mission endure a lot more mental trauma that both drives them and changes them in the process, sometimes for the good, and sometimes their good is not so good for the masses. Why do we get to the point of having a condition And why are some so dark while others are so driven? For this answer, I'm going to steal two terms I believe were coined by psychologist Guy Winch. Perhaps it's Guy Winch. We lack understanding of daily emotional hygiene, and there are a few sources for mental health first aid. And taboo, but we shouldn't blame history. So I will tell you a story of myself. Like many of the famous people I listed, I was never defeated by my mind, but but driven by my vulnerabilities. Most of my life, I was the overachieving, sickly positive, overtly optimist, and outgoing person who believed there was no such thing as can't. There was only lack of willingness and dedication to keep trying. 
but I would let go of things and move on to new things before reaching my full potential in any one thing. As soon as I had accomplished what I needed in that moment, most often with things that I viewed as self-centered or not being for others. I became very educated, but stopped each course when I was 80% done, held management positions in every place of employment, but bounced around many fields, letting each job go to fulfill familial needs. It wasn't until I had my complete breakdown that I realized my drive and lack to follow through were my masks to generate acceptance, but I had neglected to follow my own desires, believing myself unworthy. In my early adult years, I almost gave up and numbed all my potential to better suit what I felt I deserved. But something in me gave me the drive to pull myself out. A tiny voice said, you're not done yet. I picked myself up by my bootstraps and found something to latch onto that gave me motivation, which was love. But again, I followed his dream and not my own. From then on, I raised my children to have the same drive optimism, and desire for good as I had, but these lessons were not enough to combat the reality they perceived. It wasn't until after my breakdown that I realized I had not learned or taught my children emotional hygiene. I didn't realize that because my positive traits were survival masks seeking acceptance, I was exempt of flying that nice people finish last by falling to the manipulative, that good must suffer and adapt while bad forces the changes that lead to adaptation, that worthiness is a thing of stature, and that people of the world are not to be trusted because no one is presenting themselves with honesty. I had not lived or provided a life where the joy was found simply in living. Losing my son to his battle with mental health surely caused me justifiable depression. But it was simply the tip of the iceberg for my breakdown. After a long period of therapy, I believe my breakdown was caused by realizing there was nothing I could do to fix the problem. No way I could avoid it recurring in my younger children. No way I could resolve the conundrum of my self-dialogue because I realized that every person had reached this point where they were reacting and living in the shadow of their wounds and were all blind to each other. I felt hopeless and defeated, but I was trying so hard to keep going with a giant smile. I didn't realize that my smile was simply a cast I had put over an unset broken bone, my mind, repeatedly. My son becoming an angel was the straw that broke the camel's back, and all those unset, healed, over, broken, cracked bones in my mind opened in a spectacular explosion. I know mental health can be hard to see, but when it becomes ailed to a clinical degree, it's no different than becoming a paraplegic, as parts of the neural formations no longer function and the information needs to be rooted, like having to learn to use a device to replace the ability of a lost limb would have provided. We've made it to the last 
most important fact. How can you help yourself? There are lots of things you can do to help yourself. When you notice that past afflictions are still festering and controlling how you choose to live your life and are starting to take over how you think, you can give yourself care. More importantly, there are things that everyday people can do to keep our minds healthy in the first place, just like going to the gym and eating healthy and brushing our teeth does for our physical body. You've already taken the first step and the most important step, and that's admitting to yourself that the feelings are present and affecting how you live. You'll find in time it's obvious that you'll need to make small changes slowly if needed. You may have to ask yourself some questions like, why do you feel this way and what can be done? If your job makes you miserable, ask yourself why. You might not need to quit if there are small changes that can be made to make the workplace more enjoyable for you to go to. Think things through and weigh the odds. If your marriage is draining the life of you, life out of you, ask what changed from the time you loved enough to say yes till now. You may just need to find more effective ways to communicate instead of getting a divorce. That is not to say that these things will not happen if you follow whatever procedure or path you choose. Just to take the time to really think about why you feel the way you do and what must be done or can be done to help you get back to the place of happiness, joy, tranquility, and all those words that represent being in a state of peace with yourself. Analyzing your habits and choices can be a big help as they can play a factor in why something presents negative feelings. Perhaps you're not getting enough sleep or maybe you're not nourished enough. It is likely you're seeking comfort, possibly you're overextending yourself. Potentially, you're worrying more than necessary. Maybe you're not being honest about yourself. There is always the chance for obsessive distraction and many become defensive and aggressive when confronted. It is common to align with social groups for self-benefit. There is considerable consideration for high expectations. Or you could even be too hard on yourself or others. I cannot list everything, but each and every choice or behavior is a reflection of something we process in our minds, even if it's done on a subconscious level. I'm sure you've all heard the saying that someone is hangry, meaning they're hungry, which is making them angry. This is the point I'm getting about analyzing your habits. If you don't properly provide for your body, signals can get a little mixed up and confused, adding to the disorientation of thought. If you don't recognize your body language, your message may get misinterpreted. And if you don't consider why, the why of your choices and behaviors, you will never be able to take back controlling the design of your joyous life. Self-soothing touch is a very powerful method if you're careful not to let it become a distraction of healing or standard functioning. Rubbing the temples, neck, and shoulders as well as the arms has been shown to calm a stressed mind. Activating the nervous connection to the organs by fidgeting with your hands has proven quite effective as well, as you can see by the popularity of such things as fidget toys. 
Partaking in soothing activities at various points in the day can aid in the mind's ability to process and handle new and ongoing afflictions. Listen to music. Submerge yourself in, a, in an aromatherapy bath. Or just fill the room with smell. Keep your sexual energy alive. Sit in nature or even go barefoot, known as grounding. Take care of some plants. Or my favorite, just have a good laugh. Tranquil exercise is a wonderful technique. Forms such as yoga, qigong, tai chi, and other dance healing or martial arts not only guide you to let go of your worries and be in the moment, but also help with posture, balance, muscle tone, and joint range of motion. Simple breathing exercise and moving slowly with precision can help everything bring everything back to the point that is wholly you. Water is known to be soothing. In some sort of primal way, our tensions are taken away by the water while suspending us in a feeling of weightlessness. For that moment, it's like you're safe in a protective womb, free from burden, so that when you emerge, you can start fresh. I love a hot shower because the sound of water falling on me is soothing, while at the same time covering the sound of my tears when they happen. Meditation is difficult. But just sitting in the quiet allows your brain a moment to process without dealing with the continual barrage of input from the outside world. Even if you can't get to a Zen state of oneness, giving yourself a chance to think is beneficial to letting go. So if you can be free to live in the moment and experience life as it happens. I personally cannot yet get to an empty mind, but I am learning to focus in on something and tune out the rest after practicing regularly. Many say that meditation was behind a brilliant idea, but for me, my mind sparkles with hundreds of ideas, fire, like fireworks every minute, so I meditate to learn how to slow my mind and narrow in on one idea at a time. For this reason, when it comes to meditation, let your purpose for doing it guide what meditation looks like for you and how much you are willing to practice to achieve your purpose in meditating. Express yourself by singing, dancing, writing, drawing, painting, or even what outfit you put on. Keeping in the emotion is hard, but not always is it a good time or place to express them. A good cry can release so much emotional energy. The same goes for screaming. Just try to make sure you're releasing in a way that doesn't affect others as you express how you feel. Connecting with the community, openly conversing, will help you commit to your healing. It may be hard to fathom in the moment, but your friends, family, and neighbors really do care about you and your well-being. You just have to let them in and be open about what you're going through, communicating with compassion for yourself. Thinking outside of the box can be very beneficial to getting things done that you struggle with under a negatively afflicted mind. You might need to have a friend join you to do the groceries so you're not alone when you get overwhelmed. Perhaps you'll need to make games out of chores so they don't seem so daunting. A mind that has negative afflictions can often leave one feeling they have no control over when or how their thoughts, actions, and perspectives affect them. Having a support network can help you pull out of a slump and challenge your negative mindset to find the joy that makes life worth playing. A friend of mine wrote in a post the other day that ditches are one of the hardest things to deal with 
because that's when our minds start to think about everything. Spiraling in thought can be scary, which brings me to yet another important factor in finding you in control of your mental health, and that's commitment. You can't be scared to face yourself. It's hard, just like going to the gym, but you need to go through it with compassion for yourself. Process all of it. Give yourself understanding so you can get creative on how to work around it. How to soothe yourself while in it. And in time, to flip the script on how it makes you feel. Yes, it's going to be difficult, but think of those things as your, as if your mind is your best friend, stopping by unexpectedly saying, I really need to talk. I brought wine. Get ready to cry with me. You shouldn't shut the door on your bestie, so keep it open for your mind. It's okay to be fragile. That's where community and communication come in. Just be open about what you're going through. I have been rather blessed by my support system. My husband does everything he can to understand whilst living with his own emotional scars. My kids seem to appreciate learning and living with compassion. I have hundreds of community members always willing to give me a hug if I stop by. And more importantly, I have both a psychotherapist and an occupational therapist. The reality is most are not so lucky. There is still so much ignorance when it comes to this topic. But I can say that the times are slowly changing. I have found the key to successfully communicating my condition has been to not seek sympathy in the poor me sense, but to seek sympathy for my determination to continue living with my condition. I expose my vulnerability, but prove I am more than my condition and explain that it is an effort every day, but I am just as willing to make it as someone surviving cancer. I make it clear there is still a lot of me to share with the world. I suppose I also get more assistance because I don't shout where is the help. I choose to present ways to help and I exemplify what mindful compassion looks like. I know that seeking help can be very frustrating and I'm sure most of you, like myself, feel a sense of shame for their condition. But as almost all mental health conditions are invisible, the onus is on us to communicate to the mind's eye of others. Mental health has always been a big factor within the human condition. Except for in the earliest years, in the glory of the aboriginal or pagan life, until now, it simply was not discussed. The only time it was discussed was presented as an extreme. extreme. They went mad, or they were absolutely gay with anticipation. For the record, in those days, gay meant happy with no reference to sexual orientation. The average person just had to deal with the hard facts of life. For the most part, life in ignorance to mental health, life in, life, will expense, life expectancy was short. In the last few hundred years, that changed too. But humans still had to just survive without understanding all the rumblings in our minds and hearts. Much pain was incurred by all around the globe under the infinite perspectives which led to what we now understand to be generational trauma. As we pass down ways to survive creating tougher, stronger, and more resilient generations, 
much of humanity neglected to heal. We have come to an age where we understand much about life, the mind, and impact of our choices, big and small, that the message seems to be everywhere today. Mental health is an issue. Maybe we need to change the way it's worded, to take care of your mind and it'll take care of you, for us to actually listen. Commercially, it's no secret. There are apps to tell you the psychology of your eating habits and your sleep habits. These are two factors that affect our physical health that are proven to start in the mind, yet healthcare and government-funded agencies fall way behind. The internet is abuzz with amazing resources, groups, and books. The latest I've bought to line my shelves are Every Family Has a Story by Julia Samuels and Dare to Rise by Karen Astrid. If you would really like some interesting psychology tidbits, I suggest checking out the World Transformation Movement at www.humancondition.com. After exposing myself to a tremendous amount of information, I've come to ask this question. Why is the health of our minds not regularly cared for? We go to a family doctor to stay on top of the health of our body, right? Why not have a family doctor for the mind? Psychotherapists, in my opinion, are the apt position to point to this role. Psychotherapists are not there to analyze your past as a psychologist or psychiatrist would, but to guide you in getting through your day-to-day while discovering through open dialogue what might be the root cause and the triggers that have presented thereafter causing one's symptoms. Of course, some people will need higher levels of care, but for most of us, even if we repressed it, we remember those painful moments. Maybe you were teased in school and now you're destroying your sanity trying to fit in. Maybe you felt like you had nothing as a child, so now you work yourself to the bone to give everything to your children. These are some very small examples that most of us feel in some way, but take a moment to think about all the possibilities of cause and effect. The point I'm making with these examples is that we all have burdens that affect our choices, actions, and express selves. In fact, most of us have similar burdens, which brings me to the most important thing everyone can do to make a positive change. Please visit the Facebook page of A Light for Change, spelled L-I-G-H-T for C-H-A-N-G-E, to sign a petition that has been created to have psychotherapy added to Ontario Health Insurance Plans, OHIP for short, coverage to start. Then we will go petition across Canada. Be more compassionate. When you're having a bad day, don't yell at a teenager that just messed up your order. You don't know what their day was like. Maybe they deal with a bully at school. Don't speed through a puddle and splash people at the bus stop. You don't know how that'll ruin their day. Maybe they'll get fired. Smile and say hi to a stranger. You might be the only one that has all day. Invite someone over or leave them a kind note. You might make them feel less alone. The little things make a big difference and it starts with you. Don't be the person reminding others of how bad it is. Be the one that gives them hope and shine a light on the path. How you view people is perspective. Try to see everyone as good, just going through something at the moment. 
I will leave you now to think through what I have said and leave you with a mindfulness challenge to think about until next week. Write down some of your internal dialogue that you think gets in the way of you being the best you living a joyfully mindful life. To close the conversation, I will draw another card from the Positive Attitude Zone Pass Cards for short. This question will be the opening question for next episode. The card drawn is the color purple for relationships. And the question is, what do you like to do with your family? We will get to that next week. But in the meantime, you can get your pass cards, Positive Attitude Zone, at www.graduatethrivers.com. That's spelled capital G, small r-a-d, capital U, small i-t, capital T, small h-r-i-v-e-r-s, dot com. Stay wonderful, wholesome, happy, open-minded, and natural, and smile as much as you can. Take care until we talk again. This has been Heidi Hardy on a Light for Change podcast.